0: Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We're going to be in the 20th chapter, Exodus chapter 20, as we continue in a series in the Ten Commandments. We'll be in the second commandment. If you were worshiping from home last week or here in our sanctuary, I wasn't able to be. I was recovering from some sickness, but if you were here worshiping, you heard a, a faithful, inspiring message from our college minister Blake Jenkins as he opened up the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 particularly, and uh, just uh, preached a wonderful message that I was worshiping from home and was able to be blessed by that message as so many of you that were here were able to hear. Uh, Romans 8 is a, a particular uh, important chapter for us as a church as we journey through the year of 2022. Each month we'll have portions of Romans chapter 8 that will commit to memory And so you'll see that in a variety of places on our social media feeds. You'll see that in print and around. And so we would encourage you to follow along with us and to hide those words of Romans chapter 8 that you heard so beautifully exposited last week in your heart. we will continue the series, Second Commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. I will read uh, the scripture reference and then let us out loud together read the second commandment together. I will start and you will join in with you. Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. This is the second commandment as we continue In this series, here. One of the first questions that uh, could potentially come up if you're walking through the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 is what could at first glance seem to be a little bit of divine redundancy, a divine rehashing. What is the distinction between the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and the second commandment that we read aloud here? Is this God trying to emphasize uh, the first and the second commandment through sort of a divine repetition, or is there a distinction? And the answer is yes, there is a distinction. There's an important distinction. The first commandment has to do with, with worshiping the one true God, and He alone. The second commandment has to do with our understanding of and worship of the only God in the right way. and So there is the distinction there. Uh, First commandment, only worshiping one God. Second commandment is our worship of Him is to be governed by the Word of God. Our understanding of Him should be governed, governed by the Word of God. Now, this is an important uh, point for us, and it's clearly made and it is comprehensively made in this commandment. I mean, look at the clarity of the commandment. Don't make for yourself a carved image. I mean, this is very tangible here. This is, this is tactile. This is, don't do this. Don't, don't carve out of wood an idol and bow down to that idol. Don't chisel into stone an idol and bow down to that idol. Don't, take engra- don't engrave in metal an idol and bow down to that idol. It's important for us to, to see just how clear this commandment is. Any man-made representation of the one true God is forbidden. It's prohibited. There's clarity of this commandment. There's a comprehensive nature to this commandment. Again, look at v- uh, verse 4 that Moses is told by God, don't make a likeness of me from the sky or the ground or the sea what what God is saying is don't look above you don't look around you and don't look below you and see the creation and then um, image the creator with the creation now for us the second commandment, I mean, this is, this is completely personal and completely subjective, but I, I think for a lot of us, the second commandment can seem uh, really ethereal, really sort of far removed from us here. But I want you to understand, the ten commandments are, aren't just timeless truths given by God that have no practical impact for us, but also for the Israelites. For the Israelites who are coming out of Egyptian captivity— this is front page relevant. This is immensely practical. They're in Egypt for over 400 years. And they, in Egypt, the Egyptians worship over 2,000 different gods. But guess how they worship those over 2,000 different gods. They look above them, they look around them, and they look below them, and they take the creation and they make images to worship these 2,000 different creators. Now, this is important. I want you to see here on this slide that you have. I don't want to belabor this point. This is not a a great course, some Egyptian divinities or anything. But if you miss this, you'll, you'll miss just how the Israelites really needed to hear this because they've got to get out of Egypt and they've got to get Egypt out of them a little bit. And so for or for over 400 years, you would have the worship of Egyptian divinities that were worshipped by these images here. So you would have like the god Horus, who is the god of the sky, that would be represented, uh, represented with the, the head of a, a falcon. Anubis, which was the god of death, has the head of a jackal. You have the most uh, probably recognizable Egyptian deity, which was Ra, which is the god of the sun, and the god of the sun has a falcon, but on top of the falcon there's this sunlight disc that has a cobra coming out of it. So really, you got over four centuries of the Israelites having this indoctrination of, these are the gods, and this is how we worship them, and this is how we we image them. And God says, there are not 2,000 different gods. There's one god, first commandment. And we don't make man-made representations from what's above us, around us, and below us, and bow down in idolatry to it. Well, why not? What's the big deal? Well, you have the one God who is infinite, eternal, spirit. There is nothing of this creation that can then be imaged for this infinite, holy, majestic, Eternal God. There's nothing that we can make in our man-made representation that can wholly signify this God that is beyond our man-made representations. It's a living God. It's a God who is eternal. We can't take lifeless metal and lifeless wood and lifeless stone and think that that can convey who this God is. Well, it's clear, right? Comprehensive, right? Good thing about this is surely the Israelites didn't have any problem with this once they got out of Egypt, right? I mean, surely, surely, I mean, this is so clear, this is so comprehensive. Once they get out of Egypt, they they have no problem with leaving behind their idolatry back there in Egypt as God, the one true God, has set them free. Well, here's the story. You fast forward. Well, Well, the Ten Commandments are are still hot off the printing press from the very finger of God with Moses on Mount Sinai. The Israelites are down there at the foot of the mountain. And guess what? They're breaking the first commandment and the second commandment. Do you see just how practical, how relevant these commandments are to the actual lived experience of the people of God in that place? Fast forward, Exodus chapter 32. You can turn in your Bible. You see it on the screen When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. We haven't heard from him. We haven't seen him. So verse 2, Aaron said to them, take off the rings of the gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 32 reminds us, the Israelites are out of Egypt, but it's going to take a lot longer to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And that's true not just back then, but that's true right now for you and for me. You see, God, through His Son, Jesus... For each and every one of us who are sons and daughters of the Most High King through faith in Jesus, he sets us free from the Egypt of our sin. He sets us free from the Egypt of the world. He sets us free from the Egypt of, of Satan himself. But we know how it is when we're journeying with God, how the world and how sin and how Satan can pull us back to him. While we have the world that we're set free from, it takes a, it takes a lifetime to get the world out of us. And each and every one of us, we know what it is to feel the temptation of the Israelites here. Of course, there are very few, if any of us, that are taking our jewelry and and melting them down and fashioning golden calves here. That probably is not it, but your heart is a factory of idolatry, just like mine is. We do know what it is like in our mind and in our heart, to fashion idols to worship. Uh, Jen Wilkin is a wonderful Bible teacher, great author. We have several of her books that we offer on the doctrine of God uh, in our next steps area because they're just so clear and so insightful. I've learned a lot from, from her work. She has a wonderful book called The Commandments to Live By. It's a book on the Ten Commandments. And I was uh, working through her chapter on the second commandment and, and she posed a question that I've just really never pondered and that is the selection of the idol, the selection of the golden calf. Why a calf? Why, why not a scorpion? I mean, in Egypt, you have this menacing scorpion that would have been uh, certainly something that the Egyptians would have, would have known about, the Israelites would have known about, and they could have made a golden uh, scorpion. Or what about a golden bull, something fierce and ferocious, something like that? But no, they don't. They, they make a calf. When I was a teenager, this is like 12, 13, 14, 15 my dad's a mechanical engineer. He's always had these side projects. Uh, one uh, for, for, for years of my teenage life, uh, he had cattle as a side hobby. So that meant uh, the weekends that I would be with my dad, oftentimes be out mending fences. I don't know how many of you know what it feels like to have a post hole digger. where you're, you're, yeah, that, that will call you into the ministry a couple of Saturdays of that. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, there would be Saturdays that we would have to gather up the whole herd and to run them through a cattle chute and you would have to give shots, and you have to brand, and, and there was, for years, you know, we were very familiar with cattle. My brothers and myself, for our birthdays, we'd get a calf, and we could, we'd be watching, it be birthed, and we'd be able to see it grow, and you would see it sold at auction. And, and so it was something that we were very, very familiar with. And, and a calf, you know, it's very tame, docile. I mean, you can't go up to it and pet it. I mean, it's going to run away from you. But, but it's certain, certainly something that, that is very manageable and controllable. I, I've never been more terrified in my life. And we'd be around the pen and there, there would be a, a, a bull in that pen. And the menacing, ferocious nature, the the power, I mean, they're just polar opposites. And when the Israelites have to to choose the idol that they're going to fashion, they choose one that is tame, cute, cuddly, something you have a stuffed animal from, They, they choose not ferocious. They choose not the uncontrollable. They choose something that's very cozy. And do not think that when we as sinners make idols to worship that we don't have the same temptation to make our golden calves, To turn the transcendent, infinite, eternal God into a cozy little pet that we can control and manipulate and pat on the head. A.W. Tozier was a famous pastor in Chicago for decades and he wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy where he's talking about the attributes of God and there's a statement in that book that has always stuck with me here where he says in this book that what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about God. Us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And while we might not be tempted to, to forge idols out of our gold jewelry... We, we might not be tempted to go out to, to Red Mountain or Oak Mountain and, and, to, and to chisel into stone something that we're going to bring back and put it on the mantle and, and worship every night. But I'm here to tell you in the factory of your heart and in the factory of your mind, there's, a, there's carving going on and there's stone that's being chiseled. And what it gets chiseled in, in our hearts and in our mind as sinners is the God that we want to shrink A God who's way too small. J.B. Phillips was a wonderful translator, paraphraser of the Bible called the Living Bible. He has a book called Your God is Too Small. And decades ago, he, he hinted at something that is so true for all of us that are here that when we make idols, we're ultimately fashioning God into the image that looks a lot like us and talks a lot like us and ultimately does our bidding for us. That God... Is too small. About 15 years ago, there were two sociologists, Melinda Denton and Christian Smith, that uh, commissioned the largest survey of evangelical teenagers across the United States. And surveying these teenagers and their beliefs about God and their practices about Christianity, that I remind you reflect what they've been taught, and where they worship, and what they experience. This is, not, this is not, first and foremost, an indictment upon teenagers of this time and of this period, but ultimately it's a reflection of the books on the bestseller list. And the liturgies, stated or non-stated, in the churches that they worship in, the sermons that they hear, but it was a, it was a very interesting study in this book called Soul Searching, where Christian Smith and Melinda Denton, they, they pose five characteristics of the, the God of this season of life. The God that they would worship. Now, let me just give them to you. You'll see them on the screen. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other and taught as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve your problem. And finally, good people go to heaven when they die. A whole religion was coined called moral therapeutic deism. We don't need to get caught up in the titles here. There's something about this that's far from the God revealed in Scripture. And I ask you, did you just hear what I just heard? When I was reading that, did anybody else hear a sound? For a moment, I thought I heard the sound of wood being carved. I thought for just a moment I heard the sound of the chiseling of stone. The forging of idols. This is not the God of Christianity. This is not the God revealed in Scripture. You know what this is? This is a God that looks like us and talks like us and does our bidding. It it is a God that has more to do with a cosmic therapist and a divine butler than the transcendent eternal God revealed to us in the Bible. It is the God that wholly exists for you to do your work. It is the God who, who has one goal, and that is for you to be happy and to be happy about yourself to take care of your problems when you need something. He's the God that asks nothing of you and he ultimately expects nothing of you. He exists to be on call. And as soon as you ring that bell, he comes. He's the God ultimately that's your pet. If you listen closely, you hear the sound of wood being carved. My friends, that's not the only idol if our heart is a factory of idolatry, then there's a whole conveyor belt of idols that we can choose from, of our own fashion and of our own making. And there's none of us in the sanctuary that are immune to this because we're all sinners saved by grace. And, and there's, a, there's a whole factory line that comes through, and, and they, they come through at different times and different seasons, and they, they strike us in different ways. Uh, just a few years ago, I was... Uh, finishing up the night. The boys had gone to bed. Danielle and I had put them down. Uh, I guess one of my sons was about 10 or 11 at that time. I was flipping through the channels. He comes out of his room, goes into the kitchen to get something to drink, and he happens to be watching what I'm watching. And for just a moment, I'd seen a, a very prominent television preacher who was preaching this evening, and I stopped. And always stop. I always want to hear. I'm always eager to hear what he's talking about and, and maybe the clarity of the Word of God and the clarity of the gospel is just going to rain through as I listen. And so I was listening to him preach and I didn't write down what he said in that moment. But what I'm quoting to you are his words and in some of his uh, books that you can buy. He said something like this in his sermon. This was it. God has a big dream for your life. God has a big dream for your life. And you, you need to expect God to do good things for you. You're a child of the Most High God. He has crowned you with favor so you can expect preferential treatment at work. You can expect preferential treatment at home. You can expect preferential treatment at school. So stop, stop thinking of yourself as a loser with a bad job and a small apartment and a lemon of a car. God didn't make you average. God created you to excel if you will start acting like it and talking like it and seeing yourself as more than a conqueror. You will live a prosperous and victorious life. God has promised that he will turn your challenges into stepping stones for promotion. God will take you places you've never dreamed of, and you will be living your best life right now. Did you just hear that? Is is it just me that's hearing that sound? But but did I just hear wood being carved? And stone being chiseled? Did did, did I just see a a small God who does our bidding being forged before us? Like a genie in the bottle? That if you have a problem, you have a need, you have a desire, all you have to do is through your faithfulness is believe enough and pray enough, and you can rub that genie. He'll come out like Aladdin, and he will grant all of your wishes of endless health and endless wealth and endless prosperity. If you listen closely enough, you will hear the sound of wood being carved. That God is too small. was interesting turned the channel. My son was listening and he, and he asked a question. He said, Dad, is, is that true? It just, it just doesn't sound right. Even for a 10-year-old, there, there was enough sort of theological spidey senses that were just shooting off saying something's off with that. Yes, something's off about that. You know what you heard is you, you heard wood being carved. When we commit idolatry, we're ultimately fashioning God in a way that is always tame, always comfortable, always manageable. We can fit him in the back of our pocket and pull him out like our cell phones when we want him to be present. But any other time, off to the side. Here's the truth. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And in our heart and in our mind, there's a a factory that creates idols here, a a factory of idolatry that is fueled by this world, It is fueled by an enemy. And we are all here tempted to pull out our our whittling instruments. We are all tempted to to pull out our, our chisels. And to ultimately shape stone into our liking, into our image. A a God who, at the end of the day, exists solely for our needs and our preferences, our bidding. That God is too small. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I ask you, what and who comes to mind? Am I worshiping the God that is revealed in the Bible? Or am I worshiping a God of my carving? Of my chiseling? If you listen closely, not just the television preachers, and not to just sociological studies, but if you listen closely enough to the sound of your own heart, you might just hear, Wood being carved. Let us pray.